As we center ourselves around God's Word, I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. This is the easiest book to find because it's the first one. So once you're through the table of contents, you will find Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Today we will begin um, our fall sermon series. And uh, for, for sake of simplicity and clarity, we could call what we're going to do this fall back to basics. Back to basics. Back to the simple stories. Back to the, the types of stories that you find in a children's Bible. The ones that are maybe familiar to us or seem common. Part of the reason we want to do that is because it is worth revisiting these stories. There is a reason that they are the stories that make it into Sunday school lessons. They are the reasons that they are in children's Bibles. We need some working familiarity with them. Also, it is good to revisit what we think we are familiar with. An example from my childhood on why this is so. Raise your hand. Have you ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Very common story. Uh, I remember when I was in Sunday school as a child, I got in trouble at church a lot. If you don't believe me, ask my parents next time they're here, and they will confirm this for you. But I got into an argument with a Sunday school teacher of mine when I was a child because we had been reading through the we had been reading the Bible through the year as a family, so a short reading every day. And we had made our way through first and second Samuel, where the story of David and Goliath is. And then in Sunday school, we were reading the story of David and Goliath. And as a child, I was excited because I had just read that story. And we got to the end of the Sunday school reader, and I was like Teacher, they left a part out. They left out the part where David takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off with it. And my teacher told me, Stephen, you're making stuff up. That's not in the story. And I was like, it's not in this one, but it's in there. I just read it in the Bible. And so we argued. I hear a little hum. Um, we argued back and forth for a little while until finally her two options were either to go next door to where my dad was teaching Sunday school and have my dad come tell me to be quiet or was to um, prove me wrong by opening the Bible. So we found the text and we opened it up. And after David swung his, um, you know, with his slingshot, his sling round and round, he hit the giant, the giant came tumbling down and then... In Scripture, David grabs Goliath's sword and he decapitates him with it. True story. The Bible does not gloss over any details. The Bible will give you the narrative as it is. There are details that we might think we know of a story that are or aren't there. And so when we revisit these stories back to basics... I invite you, whether it's the first or second time you've heard it, or if it's been happening for a long time that you know these really well, pay attention and hear them anew and afresh. Because we can be surprised by what we find where we thought we knew the familiar. With that, today we're going to start in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation story. 
And especially today, I encourage you to have your Bibles open because we are going to go through this a little bit differently. Genesis 1 and 2 is a lot of text to go through this morning. And so I'm not going to read it all and then go back. Um, I'm going to read through as we go. So have your Bible open, and the way you'll know that it's me talking in between Scripture passages is we'll get to a point, if I say friends, then even if you're not looking in your Bible, you know that now it's Stephen talking. Um, And then when we pick back up, I'll say what chapter and verse we are at. So hopefully that makes sense as we move through Genesis 1 and 2. And what we're trying to zero in on today is who is this God that we worship? And knowing who this God is makes all the difference in how we understand God, how we come before God, how we approach this God who loves us very much. And so before we pray, I want to ask you a question. If you were to hear the words architect and artist, which one do you feel more drawn to in terms of understanding God? Is it easier for you to understand God as an architect or as an artist? An architect designs, an architect puts things in place, an architect creates spaces that that are safe and have the right boundaries and capacities. An architect does all of that work. Now, not all architects, though, are the ones who actually do the building. They are very wise, but they are a part. Or do you think of God as the designer architect or as the artist? Do you think of God as the one who is hands-on, not not just looking at the blueprints, but the one who is using supplies, who's getting their hands dirty to sculpt sculpt and create and make something beautiful with their own hands? Both of these analogies work, but God is too big to be contained by one of them. As we read Genesis 1 and 2, I want to invite you to pay attention to the ways in which God is both the architect of creation and the artist of creation. God is both architect and artist. And Genesis 1 and 2, back to back, show us this in some neat ways. Now, there's always going to be more that we could say. So today, we're going to go through at a pretty good clip. But we're going to do so paying attention to who this God, the creator, is as both the architect of creation and as the artist of this place that we call the earth. Let's pray together. God, our creator, you created the heavens and the earth. You created them with order and detail. You created them with beauty and splendor. And we lean on you. We seek to understand you, O God, by paying attention to who you are, even in the beginning. So, Lord, as we turn our hearts towards your word, may you bring life to every word and every page. And may you, O God, not just be an abstract concept to us, but may you be the living active God that we know, who designed us and formed us. By the Holy Spirit, send fire upon our hearts. 
as we come to your word. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Friends, hold on to that for just a moment. We read the Bible, part of why we need to go back to these stories, we read the Bible with a modern lens. And part of our modern lens is that we have some understandings of space, time, and modern physics. So when I think of creation, if I'm not reading the story, I think of God somewhere in the middle of empty space. But that's not the picture that we're given in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where God is hovering over the waters. It's not just empty space. God is over the, the earth was there, but it was formless and empty. It was dark. But God is hovering over the waters. There's something about God's character that we lean into when we understand reading Scripture the way it was read for millennia before we started looking through telescopes. Water is symbolic of some chaos. Remember the disciples crossing over the sea? They were scared in the storm, even if they could see the shore. Water, the sea, is unpredictable and scary. It is a place of chaos And God is hovering over the waters, the waters that have no boundaries, the waters that still have no order or design to them, just hovering over the waters, a place of chaos. There is something about God's character that we learn even in verse 1 and 2 of Genesis 1. God is not afraid of the chaos of your life. No matter how disordered and chaotic your life might seem, it will not scare God away. God is not damaged or affected in a bad way by drawing near to this chaos that was the empty and formless earth. God draws near to it and hovers over the waters and with the mind of an architect begins to design what this space should be. Genesis 1 verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light, and it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault or expanse, depending on your translation. Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the vault that expanse between the waters sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Friends, there was all of this water, then there was light to guide us, and then there was a space created between water, which can be unpredictable and scary and chaotic. There was a space made. There's the waters beneath the vault and the waters above the vault. Now, if you were someone in the ancient Near East, you would know that water falls down from the sky. So it makes perfect sense to understand that there is water above the vault, 
that we call the sky, this expanse between. There's water above, there's water beneath, but there is a space made for you between them, a space where life can exist because God longs for life to exist. Genesis 1, verse 9. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered in one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and he gathered the waters. And the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. Friends, you can already hear that God is creating a a, a pretty vast ecosystem. God did not just create, you know, something boring and mundane. God is creating, in the Genesis account, all different kinds of plants. And there is an architect, there is order behind this, in which there is a focused point. These are all according to their kinds, according to their varieties. There is order to this creation that God has brought from the chaos of waters that he was hovering above. And now there is space, and now there is land. And there is an ordered creation appearing in the dry ground. And it's beautiful. It has variety. It has diversity. And this is good. And all of this just by the third day. Genesis 1, verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Friends, just a quick note on this. You notice that the sun and moon are created, but they're not called the sun and the moon in Genesis 1. They're just called the greater light and the lesser light. And there is a very specific reason for that. In most cultures in the ancient Near East, the sun and the moon were worshipped as gods. And so you would give a name to them and worship them as part of the deities. In Genesis 1, it's just referred to as the greater light and the lesser light. Because God is the architect over all of creation, above it, moving in it. And so we are not meant to worship the sun and moon. We're not meant to worship the stars. We are meant to worship the one who put them in place, who spoke them into existence and created them. 
So we do not worship creation, but creation in all of its splendor and beauty leads us to worship the Creator. Consider the beauty of a sunrise, that God as an architect could make it beautiful. But when we see the sunrise, we're not led to worship the sun or to call it God, but rather we see the beauty of it, and we are called to worship God who put the sunrise in place. And that God is as the architect creating order and even allowing us to mark times and seasons through stars, through the moon, through lunar cycles. Because God, the architect, bringing order into creation is giving us an understanding of order as well. Genesis 1, verse 20. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living creature with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Friends, in Genesis 1 and just into Genesis 2, we get a picture of 
order being brought out of chaos. We get an understanding of, of design and, and the right boundaries being put in place for life to exist in this vault between the waters on the dry ground. And we get a sense that we have our place in this whole vast creation as well. We have our place of dominion over it. But the whole time, God is still above us. But if we read Genesis 1 with a sense of God's desire for order and not a lack of beauty, rather there is great diversity. Everything is is teeming with life. It is full of life and potential and goodness. God ordered and designed all of this. But that's the architect side. And you'll notice if, if, if you read really carefully to what, what v- name God is given, throughout Genesis 1, we're referring to God just as God. God did this, saw that it was good. God did that, saw that it was good. But when we begin in Genesis 2, verse 4, there's another word added to it. God will now be referred to as the Lord God. In Genesis 1, God is referred to only as God or Elohim. In Genesis 2, God is now referred to as the Lord God, which is Yahweh Elohim. If you think ahead to when Moses encountered God and wanted to know, who should I say sent me? I can't call it the sun or the moon. Those are other gods. Who sent me? And God says, I am who I am. God gives God's name. In Genesis 2, We have Yahweh Elohim, not just Elohim. There is something named about God, something personal. Not just a designer that's far off, but someone who has a name and who calls you by name. Someone close to you, someone imminent and intimate with your being. Genesis 2 brings us from the architect who creates order but also beauty to the artist. It's a zeroed-in, hands-on look at the creation of humanity. So we'll pick up again and just note we've gone from calling God God to the Lord God. The author has changed the title for God to make it clear that we're looking at the same story, but we're looking at a different aspect of it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground." And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden... Were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Friends, did you catch that difference 
in how all of the plants are described. The architect description of God in Genesis 1 focuses on how they're in order according to their kinds. And now in Genesis 2, looking at humanity, looking as this pinnacle of creation, now we are told also that the trees are pleasing to the eye. They are artwork, pleasing to the eye and good for food. They are tasty. Because God did not create a boring creation in which everything is bland and drab. Rather, God created something with vibrancy that pleases the eye, that engages the senses, because God wants this creation to be good and very good. Picking up at Genesis 2, verse 10. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon, It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The architect and the artist come together to make something out of the chaos and something that would be good, and not just boring, but full of life and beauty. Genesis 2 slows us down. And and it's funny that in Genesis 1, we're already told that God made male and female. He created them in Genesis 1, verse 27. And yet, in Genesis 2, we slow it down to look at man and woman being created as if it wasn't enough just to say in Genesis 1 that, yep, they were created, good to go. But in Genesis 2, we find a few things about God's character. For one, God knows our needs. 
even from creation, we can hold on to our understanding of prayer that God knows what we need even more than we do. God observes Adam with no complaint on Adam's behalf that it was not good for him to be alone and that there just wasn't anything quite like human companionship. Now, what we don't mean by this is that you're not a full human until you're married. We don't mean that life is not fulfilling until you have a spouse. But rather, the wording is, it is not good for the man to be alone. That we are not meant to go through life as absolute loners. And moving a couple chapters up, Pastor Audrey will preach on the fall next week, but in Cain and Abel's story... Cain's punishment that was too much to bear was that he would be sent out alone. God knows our needs. Because the architect of creation could give us the idea that God is somehow distant and far off. That God's not in touch with what we need. That God is, is I mean, God's not destroyed by the chaos of the waters, but almost that God is separated to the point of being unaffected. But then on the artist side in Genesis 2, we get this picture that there is creation in order, but that there is also a God who is in touch with its needs, a God who sees and perceives and will keep on working to bring the needs to be fulfilled. I think about prayer. It's not just to an architect, though it is to the one who is sovereign over all the universe. But also it is the artist, not just someone who lives in their own head, but someone who is deeply attuned to creation. Creation is very good with humanity in it. I also just always chuckle a little bit in thinking about Adam naming everything, and I am convinced that oranges were named before carrots. What are these? Hmm. Well, they're orange. We'll call them oranges. Very original, Adam. Carrots come up. What do you want to call these? Well, they're orange. Oh, no. Long pointies. Carrots. But there is beauty in creation. Creation was not meant to be just functional, but also to evoke our senses. That, that the food is good to taste and it's pleasing to the eye. That when you taste something, you, you smell it. That flowers even exist is a sign of God's beauty and artistry. Your life was meant for purpose. Your life is meant for something that, that has a, a design to it. And we read these stories to understand the character of God and the design of life that God leads us into. But your life is also something beautiful and precious to God. The needs that you have deep in your heart are not a mystery to God, nor, are they, nor is he far off from them. God is close. And in fact, we hear in Genesis 3 that God walked in the garden. And the garden was good. God gives God's name to Moses. And so when Genesis 1 and 2 are put to pen... 
It's in Genesis 2 that we don't call God just God Elohim, but we call him Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, because God has a name. And God is not meaning to be mysterious or distant, though God is a mystery beyond our understanding. God does not put us far off at arm's length. God gives God's name to us. Yahweh Elohim. But in the New Testament... God will give God's name again to us. Jesus, meaning Savior, the Lord is salvation. I think about Jesus and all that he does, and when we read Genesis 1 and 2 and understand both this this wonderful creation that God designed for us, that he made in in all of the right ways, and the artistry, and that Jesus, in all of his miracles, is restoring the brokenness of creation, is bringing it back to the way it was meant to be. The, The commandment to not steal was not meant to ruin our fun, but was because we were meant to live in a way that didn't require us to have so many keys all the time. God's intent for us is rediscovered and reinvigorated in Jesus. And when you think about Jesus' miracles, maybe that's the best place where we can relate to what it would be like to think about the, the, the man who could not walk for years and years, and his friends brought him to Jesus, and Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. The order of creation, the way it's supposed to work, is put back in place. But do you think the guy who couldn't walk and then could was like, well, indeed, my legs work properly again now. I shall go home. Do you think that's all he did? Or did he dance? Did he jump because he could again? Because the creation that he was intended for all of a sudden was brought back to him. That he was not just stuck anymore, but that his body operated the way it would. Do you think that he just walked out calmly? Or did he dance for joy because he could? Because he was celebrating not just that his body worked in order, but that he could use it to worship God. Do you think that when Jesus healed those who were blind, that they opened their eyes and said, I may now see the full spectrum of color. Or did they open their eyes for the first time when Jesus made the blind to see and they saw the splendor of creation, whether they were born blind or had been made blind, all of a sudden they could see and receive creation, not just as spatial reasoning, not just a color spectrum, but that they could see the beauty of creation. We don't worship in just a plain box. We worship in a space that is designed to bring us back to symbols, and it's done with color and beauty. We don't just talk to each other. We sing songs with melody and harmony to use our voices because there is artistry in creation. And when we worship with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we give it all to God using every spectrum of our created being to bring it before the Lord our God. Because God created this creation with what we could understand as an architect of design and an artist of beauty. And there is messiness in beauty, make no mistake. But messiness is not a problem. God can handle all of our messiness. God, in fact, rejoices when we rejoice in the beauty of creation. 
And so, friends, as we move through these basic Bible stories, think of the God who created all the world and remember that God created it for beauty and enjoyment. And maybe this week, spend some time observing what analogy are you most drawn to? Are things in your, or, in your life just out of order? Not, not messy. Messy can be good. Messy can be fruitful. Toddlers learn how to play by being messy. But are there parts of your life that are just out of order? They're out of integrity. And that we need the touch of the architect to put things back in order. To make things the way they need to be. Where we need God the architect to put things in order for us. Or do we need that touch of God the artist that we need to remember that there are parts of life that are worth cherishing? There are parts of life that are worth celebrating with every spectrum of our being. God is both architect and artist. Now, God is far beyond our binary thinking. There, are, there is no one or two or three analogies that could capture God in all of God's being. But in creation... We see two sides of God, and they work together to bring this world to fruition. And it is our Lord Jesus Christ who put within our hearts the story of salvation. I think about the people that Jesus healed, that they worshipped God probably with a lot of passion. Because passion was reinvigorated in their hearts when they were in touch with how creation was supposed to be, with how it was supposed to be experienced, how it was supposed to be good and very good for us and to us and with us. There was passion in those moments of dancing and seeing and singing. But the greatest passion of all is the one with which Jesus loves us. The greatest design of love is the love that God forged between us through covenant promises, through words spoken, through prophets sent, through scriptures written, through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The greatest passion ever created was God's love for us. And the cross, as terrible as it is, is the picture of creation being restored. Rejoice with passion for the restoration of God's creation that starts with the restoration of every human heart, with order and with beauty. Amen.